Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to The Wes and Walker Show. I want to have a barking contest. It's Wes. This is the, the Wes Bulldog Bryant. What you got? It's so much better. It's the best. And Walker. This is Fiddy's Bark. If Fiddy was a dog behind a fence, would you enter this cage? Go ahead, Fiddy. Show him your bark. <laughs> that was sensational. I don't know if I can beat that. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. <laughs> Thursday, it is the Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The text line is buzzing off of our last comments before going to break, talking about greatest ACC players. Keep them coming, 704-570-9610. Sid32 says, old head with a question mark. No, I just know basketball better. It's David Thompson. Woody from, <laughs> Woody from Stanley says those Tar Heel takes were fizzle. Go Duke. Jack says Kobe is a certified Hornet killer. Put him on the Hornets killers starting five along with Tobias Harris and Andre Drummond. That guy knows Hornets ball. He does. The, the, all three of those players absolutely deserve to be on that list. And then uh, the bagel guy says, uh, LOL, Wes said that the old heads say David Thompson. He said Rickard doesn't ever stop saying David Thompson is the oh, best no. ACC player. <laughs> Of all time. Jeff so, does uh, love him. Uh, David Thompson, man. Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, a lot of the older, you know, ACC fans, man, they always say uh, David Thompson for their money. Yeah, they, and, and even Michael, right? At, but, and we know that he was obsessed with David Thompson. Again, just like I, I go back to North Carolina where we can go to some of these storied programs. And then when we mention Hansboro, it's crazy. There, there wasn't anything that he didn't accomplish. You're talking about All-American. You're discussing him as a Final Four appearance, his junior year champion his seat is uh his last season with north carolina he beats duke on senior night he goes into cameron and never loses in cameron i what the only thing you can accomplish more is winning multiple titles there which is so hard to do in college basketball it can be done but even then you got to do some of the individual things that he did and i just i don't think it can be beat like it feels like one of those unbreakable records in sports if you're just talking about North Carolina basketball history. Yeah, because, I mean, people are going to have their issues with the way it was done. He wasn't the most athletic. He didn't have the jaw-dropping plays where you just like, wow, look at what he did right there. He didn't have any of that. But Tyler Hansborough, I had to give him credit. He's my most hated Tar Heel of all time without question, but that's because, in my opinion, too, he was the best. I mean, there was nothing you could do with him. And the way in which that he did do his business made you hate him all the more if you weren't a Carolina fan. I mean, just the mechanical-looking game that he had. He swallowed up every rebound. The guy hit every big shot they asked him to take. It doesn't get much better. Now. I mean, what an award, AP Player of the Year. I It's it's nuts. When I, I like to do the all-bold stuff with baseball reference. I've mentioned that a few times. Once a month, I'll go on a really deep baseball reference dive and just look at some of the crazy stat pages in that sport. 
Tyler Hansbro, if you just go to college basketball reference, and there's a lot of banners hanging up in that right corner. It's absolutely nuts to see all the accomplishments that he was able to achieve. All right, well, without further ado, let's keep the college basketball talk rolling. It is time to go to the campus. Kona! Well, my voice is still recovering from man. Sunday, man. I needed that bye week before the Super Bowl mm. so I can tear it up again. All right. <laughs> so, uh, last night, my Deben Deacons, man, look. I mean, they... they I'm, I'm guessing you caught it. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. I caught it. I caught it. I caught it. All right. Ain't no buzzing here anymore. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, you know, I thought that uh, the Deeks were going to be a little bit different this year in the way that they uh, handled their business. And they hadn't played in a week. And normally when you don't play for that long, your coach is going to bust your behind. He's going to go through all the stuff you didn't do right. The practices alone are going to will you to victory because you're probably not going to want any more practices like some of the ones you had with so much time off. But to no avail, the Demon Deacons fall on the road to Pitt, 77-72. I get Pitt beat Duke. I get that the Panthers have won three out of their last four. But at the end of the day, after a full week, and you go down there and get outscored 50-35 to in the second half, it's unacceptable. I've now relinquished my optimism for the Demon D. I don't feel good about how this season is going to go because, as again, as I've said, after a whole week after you took a monstrous loss to the Tar Heels, and this is how you respond, going on the road, you shoot 21% from three in the second half, only three second-half assists, and I knew that Wake was one of the worst assisting teams in the ACC. It's just hero ball all the time. Come down. Cam Hildreth, here's the ball. What can you do? Hunter Salas, here's the ball. What can you do? Efton Reed, all right, let's see if you can shoot that hook shot. It's just not working out right now. This team is falling by the wayside. Your thought? I just hate what they did to my boy, man. Wake Forest, you sound defeated. Yeah, man. You sound defeated after having as much optimism in that basketball team as I'd seen you yeah, in the last man. couple of years. And even the way that you talk about previous seasons, you were ready to go. They had 18 pros on that roster. <laughs> all sorts of little birdies were telling you all the positive stuff. Yeah. And here they are after you had all the confidence. You took it to print. You tweeted out. Wake Forest is about to give the Tar Heels that business. And then they moved to Pittsburgh the week after. I want Wake Forest to be good. I don't know why they can't be. I mean, they're 41st in Ken Palm, so that gives me a sliver of hope. So let's talk about the hope. Because the only th like you are hanging on... Barely. Yeah, man, I'm hanging on waiting for Superman to come through. and Here's what you need. I'm falling. Here's what you need. <laughs> you need, clearly, to win as many games as you can. That's the obvious. <laughs> you need Virginia to continue to bounce back because Virginia is starting to play well enough to now they're in the NCAA tournament conversation, and you beat them by 20. So you need to be able to point to that win and say, hey, pretty solid victory over Virginia if they keep winning. You have another game against Virginia, and it's going to be on the road. You have two games against Duke, and you have a game on the road against Virginia Tech. You need the Hokies to keep winning, and then you finish at home with Clemson before you get to the conference tourney. Certainly not out of it yet, but something has to change, and it needs to change I mean, right yeah, now. They've lost four out of six. Uh, as you said, Walker, there are a lot of opportunities, but the problem with Wake is they just don't give you a lot of optimism because as soon as they bring you up, as soon as they build you up, man, they let you down, and that's my problem. As soon as I decide, after that Miami win, I'm like, man, we got something cooking here, baby, and then they just 
just take it to hell. Fitty, what are your thoughts? And what, what you guys? Well, no, the last thing before we go to Fitty is it's it's the classic. Well, it's the same thing NC State's experiencing, right? It's just losing on the road, and I know that's hard to do. I know it's hard in all of college basketball, but that's just the task at hand. You got to win. Like that. That's just. There's no other formula to it. Win on the road, and you just might be okay. If you don't, then it's going to be hard for you to make it into the NCAA tournament. And now you have that win. You have a win against Louisville at home, Virginia, the one you're going to hold on to. But then when we thought that you were about to take off, it was a win by four against Miami. And Miami, not only are they underperforming, they're not even a good basketball team. They're just not. So it's all really disappointing. It feels like, Wes, we're going to be hearing at the end of the season when we get to selection Sunday and we don't see Wake Forest's name on the bracket, Steve Forbes say we won a lot of games. We didn't win the right games. And, look, I believe it's as hard as it's ever been to win on the road in college basketball. But like Walker said, that's the task. Yep. And that's what tournament teams do. And, look, I know I get the reputation of being – fired guy and rightfully so i'll earn that it feels like though wes if you win 20 something plus games which i think is still on the table because of how good you are offensively well, you only got seven more to go and but but you missed the ncaa tournament like as a wake forest fan are you satisfied with that no i'm not but the thing is what's the alternative <laughs> uh, you know what i'm saying i mean we've been through jeff Bizdelic, which was probably the worst coaching high in wake forest history then danny manning came in wasn't much better and now you've got Coach Forbes that comes in, and, yeah, he can recruit like hell, man, but it's just not working out with these guys. They look like a team that just came together, and it's got a bunch of new parts that have yet to gel because, like I said, it's your turn, my turn with this team all the time. You're, you're in a tough spot because, like, my gut tells me I don't want to fire Steve Forbes. Maybe it's because I like him as a guy too much. I, they're going to win close enough to be on the bubble not make the NCAA tournament and you're going to ask me what I truly feel and I'm going to tell you I don't want to fire him because he is getting a lot of talent he's really good at the whole transfer portal thing and that is a big part in how you build your team in both college basketball and college football and yet they're still not making the tournament so you're going to have the evidence against me to say Walker why do you want to keep this guy around I totally understand it and yet I can't help but feel the way I feel I don't want to get rid of the guy that does get the ACC player of the year every season yeah I mean they keep you know they they keep getting the talent but it's going to take for him to have that team to where he's got enough holdovers that are really good and they gel together and then he brings in a couple of new pieces but to give some shine to some teams we don't talk about on a regular basis though staying in the college basketball world app state basketball 17 and 4 first in the sun belt who would have known that they could hoop up there on the mountain they're coming off an undefeated four game home stand that included two double digit wins against sun belt teams they were among teams receiving votes in the AP poll and USA Today coaches poll. The last time App received votes in the AP poll came back in 2010. They entered Thursday's action on a six-game win streak. The second time this season that they've had a six-game win streak. The last time they've had two separate six-game win streaks in the season came back in 2006, 2007. And at 17-4, and they're off to their best 21-game start since 1988. 89. Your boy was six years old back then. At 13 games over 500, uh, they posted a 7-1 record in the month of January, including a win in each of their last six contests. Head coach Dustin Kearns has got them hooping up there in the mountains.
take the stairs. That's the mantra. He's done a great job ever since taking over, and you could see it building with App State, too. An NCAA tournament appearance a couple of years ago where that was a fun game. I forget the game that they played, but it, I know it came down to the wire. Either way, you're playing important basketball all the way throughout the season, and I think that's what's so impressive about what Dustin Kearns is bringing to Boone. Freddie, what do you think about uh, the Mountaineers and their tournament chances? I mean, we saw them make the tournament, I think it was two years ago. Yeah. I think they lost in the first four. You know, they they have to win the Sun Belt, in my opinion, to make the NCAA tournament because I think a conference like the AAC, the Mountain West, those mid-major conferences are going to get, you know, more than one team in the tournament. And, and Wes, I know you, we, we don't want to fire Dustin Kearns. That's a guy, though, if Wake Forest was, were, were to move on, he feels like a natural fit to go to Wake Forest. He's always been linked to getting the Clemson job, but Brad Brownell does enough every year to not get fired. This is going to be a dude at some point is going to be in the ACC. Yeah. I'll be at Clemson, Wake, or maybe NC State. And also, I mean, he already understands what it means to wear a superior black and gold. And for him to take that step down to Wake, I think he could do a bunch of different nice things for Wake Forest. I was waiting Dead for gum. a reaction, but I don't think wow. you heard me. Dude, yeah, if, I heard if, you say to take a step down. I if, heard that. If that was me, <laughs> Wes would be going at the foul line. I would be having to dump him, but I guess because you're his... His on-air partner, you yeah. get away with taking shots at his Wake Forest. <laughs> uh, Walker rarely, you know, he rarely <laughs> takes the shots. Walker's normally uh, on the fence. But uh, before we get out of here, though, a little bit of positivity for the Demon Deacons, even though it's not coming directly from Winston-Salem. The Western Carolina Catamounts are sitting there tied at fourth right now in the SoCon. Uh, they've been road warriors this year. They played a Southern Conference high 11 road games entering this week and posted a league best eight road victories away from Cullowee. They're 16 and 6. Do you know who their head coach is, Walker Man? Yes, I do. It is Justin Gray, former Wake Forest. Great, man. So shout out to the Catamounts. They're balling as well. And like I said, App State uh, getting it done as well. Well, and last thing, got to give a shout to Charlotte because I know we have Hunter Bailey writing on the Charlotte Observer. Maybe we can get him on. But he also talked about Igor Milicic being one of the better players out there, approaching 50-40-90. But what I really want to get to is Deshaun Jackson's comments that he shared on the Highway 49 podcast, also hosted by Hunter Bailey. They got a big old game this weekend against DCU. Big old. Deshaun Jackson said, I think we're going to spank him. Mm. Are they starting to smell themselves a little bit, Walker? I think we're going to spank him is what he said. Yeah, I'm here for it. You might just get me, you know, bringing out that cigar again. Okay. We can smoke on that pirate. All pack. right, man. Here we go. Well, when we come back, we're going to go back to the Dave Canales press conference for more takeaways from that on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Don't you touch that dial. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Let's go. 
Granny Pat has shared her opinion on the text line, folks. Okay. She said she watched the press conference. She said she's very impressed with Dave Canales. Seems down to earth. But a little disappointed with Dan Morgan. Just didn't get me fired up like Dan Canales. Dave really? Canales did. All that nostalgia and yeah, everything that needs to be feared that didn't do it for you, Granny? Not, not doing it for Granny Pat. She did say all in all... We're sure to get better, which I think is the ultimate goal here. She did say, P.S., Greg Olson got a dirty deal. I think she wants Greg Olson up there somewhere. Even if she likes what Dave Canales did at the press conference, she says we should have Greg Olson a part of that podium somewhere, GM, maybe head coach, I don't know. But she thinks Greg Olson got a dirty deal. So she, she wanted to see Greg Olson out there. She did. Okay. That's well, that's, well, the, that's the opinion she, of Greg uh, or Granny Pat. It could be that they did confirm that Brady is joining the booth yesterday. So it could be that to where Greg Olson's future. Mm, I'm sorry, Granny. That might be true. Now, look, yeah. It might be that she maybe she wanted Greg to be the prez or maybe the head coach. But that news about Brady in the booth is a fish. Which we did talk. <laughs> I can't. I, yeah, it got me. I, I'm not as polished a broadcaster. Just keep moving on from that. I needed to say, I needed to have a fish have its day. Uh, yeah, he did talk about that in our interview with him, too. That's how everything is going. Tom Brady is going to step into the booth. We'll see what happens with Greg Olson. And then Tom Brady hopped on the Pat McAfee show and confirmed, said, hey, Greg Olson did a great job, but it's my time now. And Tom Brady stepping in. I don't want us to have another broadcasting conversation, but I'm not a Kevin Burkhardt guy. I know you aren't. Isn't the fact that maybe they're not willing to try a three-man booth tells you that he ain't good at leading the broadcast? Because I think I think Joe Buck could lead a three-man booth. I think Jim Nance could lead a three uh, or a, a, a three-player, three-person booth. Right. I think Al Michaels back before like 2016 could guide a three-person booth. I don't think that has anything to do with Kevin Burkhart whatsoever. I think it has everything to do with how much you're paying Tom Brady. <laughs> if you're paying Tom Brady, what is it, $135 million? No, is they're that, paying him something crazy. It was crazy. 350 10 years, so 35 a year. And I just wonder how <laughs> they, they, they're, they're able to... Everything to do with that. And I just wonder how they're able to do that with them being also, you know, part owner of the Raiders. Like, that's the weird part to me. Yeah, I don't know. I never really considered that. So maybe, but I, I just think as far as the three-man booth, if you're paying him $35 million, that is, I mean, that is a like lower-tier quarterback contract. I mean, he's still making NFL money. Also a Brock Purdy contract. Yeah, like top 12, top 14 QB. Listen, Something yeah, like <laughs> I feel like I feel like I, I'm here for all of of the smoke uh, today too with Brock Purdy, but I'm not doing that. I got a job to do. We got to talk Panthers and Dave Canales, right. but I do. I'm I'm really itching to argue with anybody and everybody about I know. Brock we, Purdy, we've, man. We, we've had some people on the text line. I didn't help there. Yeah, I saw some people on the text line talking yeah. crazy. Oh yeah, you I didn't know? help at all either. I do think that's the reason though, because if you're paying Tom Brady a ton of money, and then Greg Olson is also like going to be making a lot of money if you need if you pay him up to his skill level and Three-man booths are hard to make work anyway. you got to be really good. Because at, at some point, you're just hosting a talk show, right? I mean, if you're up there and then you're the studio host, play-by-play announcer, trying to kick it back to a couple of different analysts, I'm not saying it can't be done, but... Also, yeah, it's hard, man, because those guys have egos that such big names, and then you got to kick it to this guy and then kick it to that guy, and they got to figure out the chemistry. Are you going to right? You're going to pay Tom Brady thirty five mil a year to have one third of the conversation? 
No, they're going to allow him to have 50%. All right, let's move on to Dave Canales, who spoke a lot today. We got a bunch of sound. Let's go ahead and go to that right now. I was mentioning how much I like Dave Canales's um, not dodging of the small QB conversation. That was a weird way to phrase it, but stay with me. (laughs) I think Dave Canales understands who Bryce Young is as a quarterback. And I think he understands having worked with Baker Mayfield, also shorter, having worked with Russell Wilson, also shorter, what it might take to allow Bryce Young to be as successful as possible. Here's Dave Canales talking about some of the challenges that might come with coaching a smaller QB. I think there are certain challenges. Um, I'm not going to go and tell the whole uh, NFC South what those uh, advantages are. I think that's kind of a proprietary deal that we're going to own here. Um, But I will say that there are just certain things you can do to help. Um, there are there are ways to find what that quarterback's comfortable seeing. Um, you got a guy like Drew Brees, who's about my height, which is which is still short in terms of a six foot seven tackle. You know, so whether you're five eleven or whether you're six one, you can't really see over any of the linemen. So um, there's an approach to it. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, it's about decision making um, and just kind of making sure that we can have as many of our five eligibles available available for the quarterback uh, from a visual standpoint. If you go back and try to piece together some of his other comments and then apply it to a Bryce Young conversation, he did discuss also match protection, doing as much as he possibly could to protect Bryce Young, also just allow the offense to be tailored to what he does best. I really like it. Wes, I thought a point there that he made was something I, I guess I didn't focus on as much when they selected Bryce. He's telling you... Once you get to a certain short point, let's say you get to 6'1", there's not a big difference from 6'1", to 6'0", to 5'11". Yeah, like you got to, 6'1", can't see over the offensive line any better than what 5'10", can. At some point, you got to see over dudes that are 6'5", and taller. And so we can apply the same thing that a shorter QB, but not quite as short as Bryce, we can apply that to what Bryce Young can possibly do. And I like that idea. I like that point that he made. And pretty clearly, there's something different that will be done compared to what he did with Gino, who's taller, but also had a career reclamation problem. Yeah, I like that because, you know, a lot of people think, well, if Bryce Young was just six feet or six one or this, that, and third, he wouldn't have some of the limitations. And I like that he brought that up because Drew Brees was around six feet and he still had uh, his limitations seen over the line. You got to think, I mean, how many six, 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 seven quarterbacks are you going to find? Because I believe Geno Smith goes around six, three, if I'm not mistaken. But you, I mean, when you got tackles that are six, 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 seven in that range, guards, six, five, six, six, uh, things of that nature that, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult to be able to see over that, not to mention the size of the defensive linemen who are putting their hands up, uh, getting in those passing lanes, which makes them even taller. And so uh, I love the fact that he recognizes that about Bryce. Again, it is obvious, but just saying that he wants to, uh, he's going to create those solutions for him to be able to see the field better so that he could be more efficient uh, as a passer. He seemed like, even though it was brief comments about Bryce, he seems like he has uh, a great plan as far as how he's going to go about helping him to get better. All right, Dave. So how else do you plan to help Bryce Young? Here's what he had to say. Attention to the details. First and foremost, it all starts off with relationship. Uh, Bryce and I just getting to know each other. Um, I want him to know that I have his best interest at heart. I want him to be the best possible version of himself. That's the same approach that I've taken since I've been coaching positions um, in the NFL. And um, that's really the approach I want to take with him. Some of the, uh, 
some of the other things that kind of come to mind thinking about the quarterbacks that I've worked with um, over the last couple of years is we are going to become what Bryce is great at in the pass game. We're going to grow to the capacity that he can handle. Um, there's got to be a commitment and a discipline about that. There was a growth curve there with Baker. Here's where we're at today. Based on the information we have, let's get into these situations to see where he looks most confident when I see that back foot planted in the ground and that ball rips out of there without any hesitation. I know we got something. Let's find more of those. Let's put it in three different personnels and a couple formations and motions. Feels a little more detailed than what we heard from Frank Reich trying to work with Bryce Young. Feels like this guy does have a plan. And, and I, what I also like, too, is is Dave comes at this with a real understanding that I don't have all of the answers. And I'm a head coach, and ultimately it's my job to find them. But he did admit that right now they're just theories. And I thought that was a really interesting way to put it. I, I, I like self-awareness here, as we've kind of gone with the past couple of days, is with that being a theme for Dave Canales. He's a self-aware dude. He admits he doesn't have all the answers. He's going to try different things that he thinks will work. He has a plan to implement these ideas and philosophies. And once he says Bryce Young starts planting that back foot and starts ripping it without any thought, it starts to become routine for him. Now he knows we got something. It just feels like we're not hearing real coach speak. Some of it is. Like at the beginning, it's, hey, attention to detail. Yeah, we've heard all that before. But then the coach speak turns into something that is specific for what he's talking about when you usually hear coach speak stuff. You can apply it to whatever. Like we could ask him about Bryce and apply attention to detail to Bryce. You could apply that to Drew Brees. You could apply it to PJ Walker. You could apply it to whoever, right? But here there are seemingly some specific comments as it pertains to the quarterback he's working with now. And that's what I like about the head coach. Again, you just have to marvel again. As I said yesterday, I love a person that is self-aware. I love that he gets up there and he's letting you know off top, hey, you know, I don't have all the answers, but also coming up, giving us a little bit of insight into the solutions that he's going to provide for Bryce. It's certainly a breath of fresh air when you have a coach that's going to keep it 100 with you. And that seems like the type of coach uh, that the Panthers have. And again, we know this, not to keep harping on it, but we know this because of the book. We know that this is a man that isn't afraid to let you inside of what he's thinking. And we got a glimpse of that in the press conference. And so, you know, I didn't dislike Frank Reich, but I thought that a lot of the things that he gave us in the media was a lot of BS. I feel like he was a grade A BSer as far as a lot of the stuff that he would get up there and tell us because a lot of it didn't match up with what we saw uh, on the field. I don't think we're going to get from him to, hey, I'm not trying to put players in the best position. Hey, I'm going to be keeping things close to the vest. And, hey, this guy's doing so great in camp, and he's going to do this and do that and all that. I, I don't think that's what we're going to get. I think we're going to get real analysis from him uh, that are going to keep expectations in check. Yeah, I I think it'll be interesting to see how he handles losses at the podium. And if somebody clearly doesn't have a good game, I'd is there going to be any calling out? Uh, Frank Reich didn't really call anybody out like that, as far as I can remember. Yeah, and, and I don't, I don't think you need to really. I mean, we we blamed Matt Rule for that, and then we some people wanted Frank Reich to do it, and so some of it is us trying to figure out what do we want to hear from the head coach. Ultimately, if you're losing, then we just want to hear the exact opposite of what you're saying. Doesn't matter, right? If you're losing, I want to hear something different. Here's more from Dave Canales. Here he is talking about what made the Carolina job attractive. He uses it too. 
I just got more and more fired up about the opportunity to have this amazing talent. And he's the guy. He's the right guy that you all that we all talk about when we have that quarterback, that that franchise face of the franchise type of player. Um, and that got me really excited. And then just on top of that, you know, the I played against the Panthers twice and, and the job that EJ Evero did with the defense was really hard, really hard to deal with. Great sound football, playing hard, some great players in some spots and just the whole thing coming together. And then as I got to, you know, Dan and I have some history. So then I thought, shoot, if you look at some of the successful organizations, there's a dynamic relationship between the head coach and the GM. Um, and then, of course, as I've gotten to meet the Teppers, too, to feel their com their competitive nature, their passion for what they want here, what they want to see when they come out to the practice field, and just kind of knowing I can be that without faking anything, without having to make something up. I just I just felt more and more like this was going to be a great home, and, and I was really hoping, you know, as as they were sorting through the names that I would, I would come out on as one of the top candidates. So people might shake their head over the competitive nature that the Teppers exhibit. What I, I, I mean, we can criticize David Tepper for a bunch of different stuff. I do think he's competitive. I think it's because of that, that forces him or at least in his mind to meddle. Like, I, I think he wants to win. Never thought that any different about David Tepper. I think he meddles too much. That's what we've talked about. I don't think he's cheap, which is also a good quality. People are going to shake their head on some of that stuff. The The main focus for me, and maybe we can just go ahead into this next soundbite. When he was asked about how attractive this job is, he also mentioned Ajero Averro and how well he leads defense. Well, then everybody's like, wait, okay, is he coming back? You're, you're acting as if he's just straight up coming back. What's the word on this? Joe Person asked him, and here's what Canales had to say. Oh my gosh! I mean, just the respect factor that I have going against him. I know, I know this scheme going against it. I'm really excited to learn more about the ins and outs as far as how the calls come in, the adjustments, and all that. I just know it was really difficult on me for years, uh, whether it was in Seattle going against the Rams and that family, um, or this year just going against EJ twice. So, and this is this is really important for me, um, especially as a as a first time head coach who's like. I'm here to make sure we get our football right, especially on the offensive side, that we have that continuity um, with the players, with, with EJ, you know, just being able to have the mentality that I saw that was really challenging to play against. All right, so then if you if, so if you just listen a little bit longer, Joe Person asked him without the mic, okay, so is he coming back? And then he says, yeah, he is. What did you make of the Avero comment? Well, I mean, I think that he earned it. He, his audition to be on the staff was – the games that they played against the Panthers. And I think Canales, being an offensive coordinator, he recognized and he acknowledged the fact of what a hard time that he had playing against Averro in this defense. And I think it's one of those that, not necessarily if you can't beat them because they did, but join them. And I think he just felt like, hey, I want this guy on my side. I want teams to have the difficulties going up against this defense that I had. And so, uh, you know, for the Panthers defense, for all it's worth, we know that they were on the field a ton. We know how many injuries they yeah. had, but we know that they made games muddy. And they had the Panthers in positions to where they were in a lot of games entering fourth quarters. 
because the defense kept things afloat. And we know against Tampa Bay, especially in that last game, we didn't know what to expect. But for them to hold Tampa Bay to nine points, especially after we see what they did going up and playing against Detroit, and we saw what they did uh, in their first wild card victory and how they decimated the Eagles, no matter uh, how bad the Eagles were ending the season. But for the Panthers to be a team that could hold them to a paltry nine points, I think that that for sure impressed them. And in the two games that they had, uh, you know, it made a quite the impression on Canales, and that's why he's going to retain Evero. Simple as that. Yeah, something I was wrestling with this entire time, I think you and I might have both been doing this here at Wes, it was, okay, it, we want Tepper to be hands-off, and once he makes the head coaching hire, we want the head coach to fill out his staff without any push from David Tepper and the higher-ups in this organization. So David Tepper might have suggested that you keep James Campen and Chris Tabor, but Canales had connections that he really liked, and he decided to go that route. I was trying to figure out, man, I really like what the defensive side did, so I want them back. But I also want Canales, I think, first and foremost, to just go ahead and make his decision. And if that means Avero and that side of the ball has to leave, cool. But I did want him back. What I'm, what I think is going to line up real nicely here is the fact that they're. Canales isn't taking any of the defensive staff away from Tampa because that's Todd Bowles' unit anyway. So if Todd Bowles is the head coach and you're dealing with a bunch of defensive assistants and the guys that believe in what you preach as a defensive message, then Dave might be able to take who he likes on the offensive side, but he's really not taking that many people on the defensive side or really at all because those are Todd Bowles' guys anyway. Maybe you could lose one or two, but we are going to have to see somebody different with Dave, you were going to have to see somebody that might have come from a different organization and then maybe had some kind of like Dan Morgan connection. Maybe you go out and you get somebody that you worked with seven years ago that you really like, and then they made a couple of stops along the way back to Carolina to work with you again. But you were going to have to get somebody different anyway, Wes. And so you might as well keep the thing that was successful last year. Because anything was going to be different, just because it's different with Averro, it's not going to be, it's going to be the same situation with whoever you put as DC. Yeah, and so again, I think it was a smart move by him uh, to keep him, because as I said, as a head coach, you want to take as much off your plate as possible. And so for him to recognize and say, hey, I've already got a good coordinator in-house, and I'm just going to roll with him. You know, it just takes that much less of, of thinking on his part to try to go out and find a guy. And, I mean, coaches, they're so well connected. I'm sure he had somebody that he was like, hey, you know, if I don't want to keep Evero. But I feel like that once he knew he got the job, he knew that he was going to keep him. I, I don't – I feel like at this point, especially the way in which he delivered that message, to yeah. your point about how he just said it very matter-of-factly, I don't think it was ever a question for him that he was going to keep him. It feels like Canales is so positive. Every time he might do a fire or fizzle segment, he would just go, everything is fire. He probably would, yeah. He he wouldn't want any negativity. So thank God he doesn't do fire or fizzle. Fire! That responsibility belongs to Wes Bryant. It's coming up next. The staple of Wes and Walker. <laughs> fire or fizzle local rivalries in anticipation of Carolina Duke this weekend. Fire fizzle up next on Wes and Walker. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. 
only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's rivalry weekend in college basketball, at least the first iteration of it. North Carolina Duke, Saturday. It's going to be on the list, but we got some other local rivalries that Wes Bryant will deem either fire or fizzle. The first one on the list, Clemson and South Carolina football. A lot of people here really care about both sides of this thing. They so do. you tell me, Wes, is Clemson-South Carolina football a fire local college football rivalry. Well, when Clemson began its football program in 1896, coached by Walter Riggs, they scheduled the rival South Carolina College for a Thursday morning game in conjunction with the state fair. Carolina won that game 12-6, and a new tradition was born. Clemson, though, has dominated the rivalry since. They are 73-43-4 all-time against South Carolina Clemson's 73 all-time wins against South Carolina are the program's most against any opponent. You're talking about notable players from that rivalry. Take a trip down memory lane. Whether you want to go Trevor Lawrence, Debo Samuel of the current iteration. But then you go back. Steve Tannehill. You remember the hair hanging out of the back of the helmet? Refrigerator Perry. Michael Dean Perry. Big-time players have played in this rivalry. Clemson versus South Carolina football is straight fire straight out of the Palmetto State. Wes, did you mean to put this next one on the list? Is this one? This one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing. What you yeah, got, Benny? Let's I see made a comment. quick switch. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was supposed to be Wake Forest versus National Relevance, but Wake Forest versus Duke works. Uh, actually, I went back and changed it. You didn't see the updated rundown. I changed oh. it to Wake Forest and North Carolina oh. football. I'm I glad did not you, see I'm that glad you changed. I'm glad you changed that for me because I was about to say do. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so, so I was right. You didn't mean to put this one down. Okay, so you changed it. All right, scrap it. Throw it away. We got a new one. Wake Forest, North Carolina. Wes, fire fizzle. Well, the North Carolina-Wake Forest rivalry started all the way back in eight. 1988, long, long, long time ago, as Bernie Mac would say. North Carolina leads the all-time series, 72-36-2. and two. I mean, notable players, you can pick them. You want to go old school. You want to go uh, back to the to the days of doggone Darian Durant, Julius Peppers, all of those guys. You got the Aaron Currys. You've got the Riley Skinners of the world. Uh, you go to Sam Howell and Sam Hartman, some of the big-time matchups that they had. Carolina has won the last three games in this matchup. They will get it on again this year in ACC play. The Wake Forest versus North Carolina football rivalry is straight fizzled just because we've lost three in a row to the Tar Heels, and it really sticks in my craw. Didn't see that coming at all. Yeah, man. I mean, it's only because we've lost the last three. If we had won the last one, I would have said it was straight fire. One of the more surprising answers, I would say, in fire fizzle history. Not been fire for me as of late. Let's move on. App State versus not Western Carolina, not Georgia Southern, 
But App State versus the ACC on this list. Yes, Wes, do tell. Fire well, fizzle. you know, App State, they've been wanting to be in the ACC for quite some time. And we constantly reject them because, one, we don't need them. And, two, we don't want them. And then when they do play the ACC, uh, they get mopped up. They're 8-30-1 and 30 and one all time <laughs> versus the ACC. And you want to go down the list of the teams that they have played. They're 0-5 versus the Clemson Tigers. They're 0-2 versus the Miami Hurricanes. 1-2 versus the Tar Heels. 0-5 versus the Wolfpack. 0-1 versus Virginia Tech. And 7-15-1 against the Demon Deeks. So for App State oh, no. versus the ACC, it is straight. Fizzle, get you the hell out of here calling yourself you the real black and gold, man. You don't belong in ACC. You never will. Wes, I'm I'm sorry. I know, like, there's been a lot of, like, uh, quiet, subtle shots, but did you just say that App State had a winning record over Wake Forest? No, they're 7, 15, and 1. I thought you said... I thought you said 17 and 15 no. and 1. Maybe I'm buying right. 15 I thought you said 17. I was like, wait, oh, goodness, that's embarrassing. I would have left that one out. I wouldn't have mentioned that record. Um, okay, <laughs> I stand corrected. Let's move on. NC State, North Carolina. Tar Heel fans sometimes say it's not even a rivalry. Football and basketball, the only double sport banger on this list. Fire Fizzle West. Well, North Carolina and NC State were both charter members of the Atlantic Coast Conference, founded in 1953. Since that year, the rivalry has been played every season without a break. North Carolina leads the series in football, 68, 39, and 6. North Carolina leads the rivalry in basketball, 118 to 50. For you math geeks out there, that means North Carolina leads the all-time series in both sports by a combined 186, 89, and 6. All of the great players across both sports. We talked about David Thompson and Tyler Hansborough earlier. You can go to Torrey Holt in football. You can go again, like I said, to Julius Pepper. You go talk Marquise Williams. You want to go to current guys. So many great players across this rivalry. North Carolina State and North Carolina is straight fire. One of the great rivalries in the ACC. Biddy, how do you react when some Heels fans try to downplay the rivalry because NC State is little brother and Duke is the only real rivalry that you guys care about? I mean, statistically, it's not a rivalry, but the feelings you have against them, it is a rivalry because I don't hate Duke basketball. I respect Duke basketball. I hate NC State. There's a disdain for them, their program, their fan base, their tractors, and their cows. <laughs> um, so, yeah. All right, it's a rivalry. Fiddy <laughs> says it's fire, too. Last one, of course, it's the one you've been waiting for. Duke, North Carolina, first game of the rivalry this weekend. Can't wait to hear the stats on this one, just like I do every year. Wes, tell us it's fire. Duke versus North Carolina in basketball. They first played against each other in 1920. That was the first year of this rivalry. North Carolina won 36-25 to when Duke was still known as Trinity College. How about that? All right, the two teams have met at least twice a year since then. The games frequently determine ACC championships since the ACC's founding in 1953. I told you that before if you were listening. Duke and Carolina have combined to win or share 49 regular season titles. That's 77.7% again for you math geeks out there. And 38 tournament titles, which is 59.4% of those matchups, including 14 of 15 from 1996 to 2011. There are 260 all-time meetings. North Carolina leads 143 to 117, and the Duke Blue Devils have won the last two meetings. 
How many moments have we gotten from this? The fights, the broken notes, the 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 pregame scuffles, the fans going at it with each other, sleeping outside, camping out for weeks for tickets. It's always the hottest ticket in town. And whether you choose to watch it on ESPN or the hometown feed when it was from Raycom Sports or Jefferson Pilot, whichever way you want to go. Oh, Jefferson Pilot. This is one of the premier rivalries in college sports. You just pick the team, and you can pick out a plethora of great players. Christian Leitner, Grant Hill, Tyler Hasborough, Ed Cota, Vince Carter, Jamison, Elton Brand, Zion <laughs> Williamson. The names keep going on and on and on, and they will get it on again on Saturday for a top 10 matchup. What more could you want? North Carolina and Duke is straight fire. What the hell else did you think I was going to say? Fitty, cut the music off. How's your voice doing, Wes? Man, it's uh, I pushed it just now. I pushed it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn Detroit Lions, man. Yeah, it's tough. That's tough. That is a 80% Wes Bryant going <laughs> at it for fire or fizzle. But he's playing hurt, and he's still delivering. Big thanks to Wes for, of course, deeming Duke and North Carolina rivalry fire at the end. We'll move on. We've got plenty more sound to play from Dave Canales and Dan Morgan's press conference. It's coming up next in the Live Wire, Sports Radio 92.7 W.